So we've been dealing with a scripture series, dealing with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Life's healing choices. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. That's one thing that I've been really trying to impress on all of us as we go through this series. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Some, some it could be a chemical addiction. Some it could be anxiety or worry or fear or guilt or something from way back in the past. Some it could be an eating habit or whatever it might be. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Many of them are, are dealing with our, our old sin nature, coming back again, our old sin nature. Many might be chemical, uh, um, chemical imbalances, melatonin related, things like that. But the Lord wants, us, wants to help us with all of them. You know, I've started reading a biography and listening to it with Kindle. You can get an audible book and, and with an actual Kindle too. And so you can read it, listen to it both. And I take advantage of things like that. And it's about General Grant. You all know General Grant, I'm sure. I'm sure you know him quite well. He's uh, General Grant from the Civil War. You know, I love history. I like to kind of put myself in their shoes. And this book, this is a, a, a little short book, about a thousand pages. So I'm on page 740 or so right now. But, you know, one thing we see in this book is about General Grant's battles with alcohol. General Grant had a hurt habit or hang-up. It was alcohol. And, um, but we don't really know how bad his alcohol battles actually were. You see, if we could... There, there are many different books and many different movies and many different shows and, and, and testimonies and things that we could share about the, the dangers of alcohol, the dangers of chemical addiction. And this could definitely be one of them. It certainly could be one of them. You know, Grant remained a great general and a fascinating human being despite his alcohol abuse. You know, further, Ron Chernow, who's the author of this book, talks in the very beginning of the book about alcohol and that it seems as though General Grant was a functioning alcoholic. But once again, we don't really know how bad his alcohol abuse was because anytime somebody wanted to get back at him, they spread a rumor about him being drunk again. Most of these times, he wasn't drunk. He was perfectly sober. Let me back up in Grant's life. Early on, Grant was raised in a teetotaling family from southern Ohio. And then he went into West Point reluctantly. His father kind of made him go there to get free college. He was actually on his way to West Point, and he was riding and hoping that there would be some type of a train accident or an accident, so he wouldn't have to go there. He did not want to go to West Point. At that time, he never drank, and he was quite a teetotaler against alcohol. He goes to West Point. By the time he graduates West Point, he was... Uh, very committed, a very committed soldier. He was happy to be a soldier. He is, he is proud of his West Point education. And he goes into, soon after, he goes into the Mexican-American War. And as he's in the Mexican-American War, at some point, he started drinking alcohol and dr drinking to excess. But at the same time, while he's in the Mexican-American War, he realized that he stayed calm under pressure. Regardless of what was going on with men being shot and in fights all around him, he was able to stay calm. While he was at West Point, he also realized that he was very good at strategy. And people around him realized he was very good at thinking through strategy. But he started to drink alcohol. He gets married. He starts to have children. The Mexican-American War is over. And he finds himself in California in the middle of the wilderness. And he was far from his wife and kids. He hadn't seen him in over two years, over two years. And he's under a very scrupulous general or commander. I don't think he was a general. Very scrupulous commander. And this commander finds General Grant drunk. And he says, you have to either face court-martial 
or resign. His friends told him to fight it, he would win, but he chose to resign. He missed his wife and kids. That drunken experience in that time with the evils of alcohol followed him the rest of his military career. He goes into civilian life and he failed miserably. He failed and failed and failed in the civilian life until the Civil War breaks out. And now he has his cause. He has his cause. And so he tries and tries and tries to get a commission. He sees the Illinois governor, the Ohio governor, and finally he gets a commission. Once he gets his commission, he excelled in the military, and very soon after, he was up to the rank of general and eventually led the North to win the war. But no matter what, time and time again through this whole book, any time another general, it's very political. Grant wasn't that political. He did not like that. He had great integrity. He was very humble. He would not politicize for power. Anytime they wanted to, they spread rumors about his drinking. That hurt habit or hang-up followed him through the rest of his life. To the point of, as once again I say, we don't really know how often he was drinking later on. Maybe he never drank since 1854. We don't really know. The rumors spread. It goes back to that idea, if you don't take the first drink, you don't get drunk. The story today is about two brothers. One brother is the older brother. Think of him as the religious person, the religious person. The younger brother is the worldly person. He is not religious. He is anti-religious. Then there is a father. The father represents God. He represents God. You know, we've already read the story. Marty read the story. I hope that you parked there. The reason I talk about Grant, the reason I talk about this story, is that God wants us to let go and let him help us with our hurt, habit, or hang-up. Whether it's General Grant with his alcohol abuse or whether it's whatever we may face, anger, anxiety, worry, fear, a chemical addiction, whatever it may be, God wants to help us. He is a loving father. He loves us, he cares for us, and he wants to help us. So my theme today is let go. Let go of your hurt, habit, or hang-up and surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Let him help you. Let him help you. Let him help you. First, let's say that God desires a relationship with us. And God even desires a relationship with the unrepentant sinner. He desires a relationship with everyone. We see that in this parable that Jesus told. God desires a relationship with the worldly person who is living for the world, and God desires a relationship with everyone. At this point, we're going to look at the actual scripture passage, the parable. Jesus is in Samaria. He's telling all these parables in Samaria. Now, one thing that we may not know is that the Samaritans and the Jerusalem Jewish people had great hostility towards one another. They had great violence towards one another. They had terrorist attacks, actually terrorist attacks between both of those groups. They could not stand one another. And that goes back about six or 700 years, actually, that hostility goes back. And here's Jesus in Samaria. Between Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 19, Jesus is in Samaria. And get this, he tells 10 parables in Samaria. And he makes the Samaritans the good guys. He makes the enemies of the Pharisees and Sadducees the good guys. He makes the enemies of the Jerusalem Jewish people the good guys. He makes the outcasts the good guys. Jesus goes to them. The Jerusalem Jewish people, which Jesus would be one of them, would go around Samaria. They would go around it. They would go out of their way to avoid Samaritans. 
Jesus goes right through the heart of Samaria. He did that with the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. He did that in Luke, between Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 19. We call it the road to Jerusalem. Here he is in Samaria, and he tells this parable. He tells this parable. Here he is in this worldly area. Here he is in this area forsaken, forsaken by most Jews, but not by God, he tells a parable. They're forsaken by the Jewish people, but not by God. God cares about everyone. The gospel is for everyone. We call this the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means extravagant or wasteful. As you heard in the parable, the son wastes his father's money. There are two sons in the parable, and the younger tells his father that he wants his share of the estate. Now, you must know a few things here. One is, when the son says, I want my share of the estate, the son is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me my share of the estate. The other thing is, what happens is the father divides the estate between the two of them. That's not the way it was supposed to happen. From Deuteronomy 21, verse 7, the elder son was supposed to receive a double portion. That didn't happen here, though. In verses 13 through 14, it shows us that the son takes his father's money and he leaves. Jesus says that he, waste, he wasted his wealth with wild living. Jesus doesn't tell us what the son was involved in, but we can take a guess, can't we? We can take a guess because some of us have been there. Some of us have fled from God before. Some of us have been rebels. Some of us have done the wrong things. Some of us have, have lived in very wild, immoral living. I also think that some of you have had children leave home and disgrace your name. You can identify with this father. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you have had situations where you, you were prepared to welcome a child back home. You've been where the father is. Some of you are the father and you've had your heart broken by what your child had done. For you, it may not be that your child has wasted your money. You don't care about the money. It's that your child has made poor decisions and consequently ended up in a very bad situation. It makes you nauseous just to think about it. Some of you have done this yourself. You've been where the son is. Some of you have been where the older brother is. Some of you have been where the father is. Some of you have experienced how the younger son had experienced drastic forgiveness and reconciliation. You know what that's like. This sermon's point is letting go. Letting go of your hurts, habits, or hang-ups. So I want to pause right here because what we see in this parable is that the son gets to a point where he has to let go and surrender. He has to let go and surrender. He gets to a point where he's at the bottom. So as we talk about life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups and their healing choices. The third choice is letting go. We must let go and surrender to Jesus. And maybe you've done that, but have you really? Have you really surrendered everything to Jesus? Given everything to Jesus? Have you really made Jesus Lord of your life, Lord of your anxiety, Lord of everything that you face, whether it's a chemical addiction or maybe it's anger or maybe it's food or maybe it's pornography or maybe it's lust or maybe it's whatever it may be. Is he your Lord? The gospel is in this parable. The prodigal is living apart from the world. We all must come to a point in which we surrender to Jesus, and I mean really surrender. Surrender our negative attitude. Surrender our racist thoughts. Surrender anger. Surrender whatever it is. Surrender to Jesus. Say, He is Lord and I am not. Oftentimes, pride, guilt, fear, worry, they all get in the way and keep us from surrendering to Jesus. Pride, guilt, fear, worry, they all get in the way and keep us from letting go and letting God be in control. 
Letting God be in control. There's fear. Are you afraid of what you might have to give up if you surrender the care and control of your life to Christ? Fear takes many forms. There's a story about a guy who falls off a cliff. Halfway down, he grabs onto a branch, and he's hanging on for dear life. He can see 500 feet below and 500 feet above, and he yells out for help. And the Lord speaks up, and he says, This is the Lord. Trust me. Let go, and I'll catch you. The guy looks back down 500 feet below and back up 500 feet above. And he says, Is there anybody else up there? Maybe you're afraid of losing control. But we are not in control to begin with. God is in control. He is sovereign. He's in complete, complete control. And beyond that, many times our hurts, habits, and hang-ups are controlling us. We may be controlled by anger. We may be controlled by anxiety. We may be controlled by our chemical addiction. We may be controlled by our need to control everything. That controls us. We may be controlled by life. We need to let go, surrender, and let God be God. We also may have worry, which keeps us from letting go and surrendering to Jesus. We are worried about what this, what this looks like. What does it look like to let go and surrender to Jesus? Some of us have lived with our hurt, habit, or hang-up our whole life. And so letting go of it is unimaginable. Sometimes we even developed our hurt, habit, or hang-up as a protection method. You may think, I don't have a major addiction. I just have anger issues. But it is under control. But get this, even a little bit of anger hurts yourself and others. And Jesus wants to help you. By the way, if you say, I just have a little bit of anger, it's probably worse. If you say, I just have a little bit of worry, it's probably worse. If you say, I just have a little bit of anxiety, it's probably worse. Because we always make ourselves look better. I know that because I've been on the counselor's side of it. You may think, I don't have this. I don't have a major addiction. I just have anxiety. Still, don't you think the Holy Spirit wants to give you peace? In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, My peace I leave with you. Jesus is peace. He wants to help you. You don't have to live with that anxiety. But I wonder if we like our anger. We like our anxiety. We like our worry. We like our fear. We like our addiction. Maybe too much to let go. God does have the ability to get us where he wants us. John Baker, in his, in his book, Life's Healing Choices, compares the way he gets us to where he wants us to America during World War II. Before America would take a Japanese island, we would soften, we would soften the island by bombing it. We would soften the island by bombing it. Sometimes God is softening us, or at least allowing us to be softened to the point where we let him in control. Okay? After we bombed the island, we would take the beachhead. In the history of America during World War II, once we took a beachhead, we never lost it. Once we took a beachhead, we never lost the beachhead. The beachhead is like our conversion. Or if we have been converted, but we have not surrendered everything to Jesus, the beachhead is when we turn our hurt, habit, or hang-up over to Jesus. Let God in control. Surrender to Jesus. This brings us back to the parable. The prodigal is facing the consequence of his sin. Verses 15 through 16 show that now this son is feeding pigs. 
Pigs were an unclean animal in Judaism. This is showing this son is at the lowest point he can go. The lowest point he can go. And he is repentant. He's ready to let go and surrender. Jesus is setting this parable up to show the great, great love of God, our Heavenly Father. So we see this. To have a relationship with God, we must repent. However, whether we repent or not, God desires a relationship with everyone. Verses 17 through 19 show that the son is repentant. He realizes where he's, what his station in life, although he's gone, he's ready to confess this to his father. So in verses 20 through 24, show us that as he comes back to his father, his father sees him from a distant and distance and runs to him. Now, this is critical. It was undignified during that day and age for a man, an adult man, to run. The father doesn't care. He sees his son in the distance, and he runs to him. He doesn't care if that's undignified. He's welcoming his son back. Get this. His son was ready to repent. His son had this speech prepared. He's prepared to say, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father doesn't let him say it. The father, it's like the father covers his mouth and says, wait, we have to get to the party. The father welcomes his son back. And that father is representative of the heavenly father. That represents our heavenly father welcoming us back when we let go and surrender to Jesus. A man was commissioned to paint a picture of the prodigal son. He went into his work fervently, laboring to produce a picture worthy of telling the story. Finally, finally the day came when the picture was complete and he unveiled the finished painting. The scene was set outside the father's house and showed the, arm, showed the open arms of each as they were just about to meet and embrace. The man who commissioned the work was well pleased, and he was prepared to pay the painter for his work when he suddenly noticed a detail that he had missed. Standing out in the painting, above everything else in the scene, was a starkly apparent fact that the father was wearing one red shoe and one blue shoe. The man who commissioned the painting was incredulous. How could this be that the painter could make such an error? How did the painter make such a mistake? He asked the painter, and the painter simply smiled and nodded, assuring the man, get this, yes, this is a beautiful representation of the love of God for his children. What do you mean, he asked puzzled. The father in this picture was not interested in being color-coordinated or fashion-conscious when he went out to meet his son. In fact, he was in such a hurry to show his love to his son, he simply reached and grabbed the nearest two shoes that he could find. He is the God of unmatched shoes. He is the God of unmatched shoes. I love it. Some of us can hear this story and think like the eldest son. We see his reaction in verses 25 through 32. The eldest son's thinking is on the side of truth, all truth, and no grace, no grace. But get this, I think no matter what, that elder son cannot see thing, the things the way a parent would. That elder son just cannot think about watching the boy learn to walk for the first time. The father can think like that. The elder son cannot think about rocking the, the child to sleep at night, teaching him to fish. All these things that a parent experiences and that has got to be still on that father's mind. Taking him to Chipotle the first time, the best restaurant. <laughs> I'm just 
All those great experiences the Father thinks about. The Father thinks with his emotions. I believe that God made us emotional because I think God has emotions. The Father in this parable is clearly God. And when we are in the filth of life, when we are in bad situations, I think that God hurts. God hurts. Some of you know what it's like to hurt and ache and lose sleep because your child is in a bad situation. Then I think you have a small, a small element of how God feels when we are in a bad situation. God grieves and God hurts. Then when we choose to come back to God, God runs to us and throws a party. That's what this parable shows. God desires a relationship with all of us, so he sent Jesus for everyone. God desires a relationship with unrepentant sinners. God desires a relationship with a neighbor who goes to strip clubs. God desires a relationship with the person out late at night drinking because they are depressed. God desires a relationship with a man who has burned every bridge they have formed because he was never taught how to work with people. God desires a relationship with the person who cannot hold a job because he never had a father to mentor and teach him to work. God desires a relationship with the person who even cannot parent because he was never modeled or taught how to parent. You know what? God desires a relationship with the person blaspheming him on the news. God desires a relationship with the Muslim terrorist. God desires a relationship with the Nazi soldier. God desires a relationship with every person. And God desires a relationship with you and me, with all of us. He chases us down. He has been called the hound of heaven, but we have to let go. And even if we are Christians and following Jesus, there still hurts, haves, and hang-ups that we may not have let go of. Let go today. Let go and surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. The time is now. The third step in life's healing choice is letting go and surrendering to God. I encourage you to do that today. Tell God in a simple prayer, God, I wish to surrender my addiction to fill in the blank. Pornography. God, I'm surrendering my anxiety to you. God, I'm surrendering my anger to you. God, I'm surrendering my alcohol, my lust. Whatever you are going through, maybe you don't know Jesus, then today is a day. To surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. Repent, confessing you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. Trust in Him and commit to Him. Surrender to Jesus, whatever it may be. Your hurt, habit, or hang-up. Surrender, let go, and let God be in control. And I would love to help you. Let me know if I can help in any way. We all have things we're dealing with. We all have things that we need to let go of. Every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now recognizing we can't let go on our own. We can only let go with your help. You are Lord and there is no other and we cannot do this on our own. Lord Jesus, help us. Lord God, I thank you for this awesome parable that Jesus shared with us. This parable showing how much you love us and how much you care for us. And you run to us just like the father in this parable. You run to us. Certainly we know the son was repentant, but you ran to him. His father ran to him. Lord, may we be repentant, recognizing your arms are opened. And you don't care about your fashion. You just want to love us and accept us back into your kingdom. Lord, help us letting go. Lord, if there's people here who have never surrendered their life to you, may today be the day of salvation. Today, may today be the day where they repent, confessing they are sinners in need of a Savior. Believe in you as the only Savior. 
trust in you and commit to you. Help us to live the Christian life by the Holy Spirit's guidance and lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you do the closing prayer too? Thanks. A great hand to close with victory in Jesus.